Hello everyone, my name is Peter Dree and I welcome you to this next episode of the PwC TaxBite podcast series. In this podcast, we will talk about the Charter of Fundamental Rights. Recently, I followed a webinar of um, two um, colleagues of mine, Veronique de Brabanter and Nicolas Dutré. And um, yeah, it, it seems like such a relevant topic for, for, for everyone that, that I thought to record a podcast on this. Um, let me introduce who I have with me in my virtual recording studio. First of all, Veronique de Brabanter. As I said, she is a lawyer of the law firm PwC Legal, and she's focusing on resolving tax disputes and litigations. Then we have Nicolas Dutré. He is with PwC and a VAT expert with a focus on procedural aspects. Nicolas and Veronique were the speakers of the webinar, but I thought it would be useful to also invite Bram Markey here uh, because Bram is our EMEA tax controversy leader. So the topic was of the webinar was the Charter of Fundamental Rights in Tax Matters. And um, during the webinar, um, the, the, the balance between tax authorities and the fundamental rights was explained. I found it very interesting, but... Bram, I would like to hear from you with the speakers here in our podcast. Did you enjoy the webinar? I absolutely enjoyed it, Peter, because the topic is at the very heart of the challenges that, that corporate and individual taxpayers are facing nowadays uh, with all of the transparency initiatives, exchange of information, international cooperation, anti-abuse claims in, in taxation, uh, avalanche of new legislation nationally, EU, globally. It all leads to different interpretations and just plain tax uncertainty. So the topic that was brought forward in the seminar by Veronique and, and Nicolas, it's really uh, at the essence of, of what taxpayers should be mindful of. And that's how can we balance a transparent cooperation with tax administrations while at the same time safeguarding fundamental taxpayer rights um, in, in tax disputes and tax controversies. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think looking at, at the environment, we can safely say that um, you basically have 364 days of tax uncertainty with all of the evolutions that we see going on. Uh, we have luckily one day of tax certainty, the OECD tax certainty day, uh, where there are some pleas for further initiatives. There are also awards for competent authorities um, resolving disputes in a timely manner and in a qualitative manner. But I think that doesn't outweigh the, the tax uncertainty that we have for the rest of the year. Um, so I'm sure Veronique and Nicolas will give some good examples of how, for example, the Charter of Fundamental Rights can play a role um, in restoring that balance. Well, thanks, Bram, for uh, explaining that and, and giving that context. Um, because I think that was also uh, very much uh, the idea of the uh, audience of the webinar, because there were clients from and, and companies from all over Europe and abroad uh, following the webinar. So um, this counterbalancing uh, increasing power of tax authorities, these fundamental rights uh, of taxpayers. Uh, Nicola, my first question to you is, can you elaborate a little bit on the instruments that are available to, to create that balance again? Well, Peter, as uh, Bram said, it often comes down to relying on fundamental rights. In first instance, taxpayers, of course, can rely on their own national domestic constitutional principles. I think most uh, constitutions know a principle of non-discrimination or equality before the law. 
but often these are not enough or not strong enough to really enforce their rights and therefore there are additional instruments you have in first instance the european convention of human rights on a supranational level but those invoking those procedural rights um, in taxation is very difficult the only way we see it being invoked is mainly the right to a fair trial but then you need some kind of criminal offense type um, of investigation there and of course the right to property on based on the first protocol of the convention so the scope of application is quite narrow of the convention in uh, taxation and then of course that was a topic of our charter of, of our seminar you have the charter of fundamental rights to rely on and that became legally binding in the european union as from 1 december 2009 and also based on the charter and the european convention there are of course also secondary instruments that were developed to safeguard those rights for example we can think about the gdpr directive who was constructed to safeguard the rights of personal data and the right to personal life of not only taxpayers but people in general and as this became apparent the, the forced marriage between the GDPR and the investigation powers of the tax authorities is not a match made in heaven. And there is a real tension field that often leads to uh, quite uh, heavy debates. Uh. Okay. I think that's also the case for corporates, eh? Nicolas. If you see the genuine concern on, on business confidentiality with all of the transparency, uh, businesses have a genuine concern on, on, on that confidentiality. So it's, it's privacy. GDPR, but definitely also a genuine business confidentiality. Yeah, because there is always a link that can be made also with those companies. For example, if there is a down rate, often there are also personal information of, for example, employees being taken, and that can again be invoked. But normally it is also recognized that uh, companies themselves have also a right to a certain, uh, certain privacy. Um, Okay, well, the, clearly a, a tension field. Um, let's focus a little bit on the, the, the charter. Um, Veronique, can you elaborate a little bit on how the charter can impact that relationship with, with some concrete examples? Uh, sure, Peter. Uh, well, the fundamental rights in the charter uh, entail, uh, for instance, also the right to be heard uh, as a part of the, the right of defense. And uh, that can be very interesting for uh, a taxpayer uh, because it uh, implies that before uh, a taxpayer is confronted with an administrative decision, uh, he must be granted the possibility to orally explain his arguments and uh, the importance of an oral debate uh, cannot be underestimated because it allows a much more in-depth and detailed explanation of the facts and of the positions and reasonings on both sides uh, it, and it also allows to clarify sometimes uh, misconceptions uh, and that is uh, especially what was uh, challenging uh, with uh, with remote audits and uh, procedures that are otherwise merely in writing. So, so sometimes you really need to force meetings and there the charter can be a useful instrument, especially during audits uh, in which the tax authorities rely on 
principles of EU law there, uh, uh, we can we can invoke the fundamental rights uh, in in adjustment procedures, uh, and uh, that can result that already resulted uh, uh, in a number of of cases where we uh, have been able to avoid further lengthy procedures and disputes. Yeah. Veronique, this is of course also very much of importance in VAT matters. As an additional benefit or bonus, we can say that VAT is a harmonized European tax, so therefore the charter is always applicable. We can rely on it in a very broad manner, uh, consequently in VAT matters. For example, the, the sanction and the penalties applied by the tax authorities are often quite high. Uh, the standard is, is 200%, for example, in Belgium. And we can invoke the charter to try to reduce the penalties based on the proportionality and the charter, of course. One could even go so far as stating that the refusal of the right to deduct is in itself actually already a sanction and therefore no additional sanction can be applied by the tax authority based on the NABIS in, no, the NABIS in Eden principle of the charter. We also try to lower the exorbitant late payment interest based on the same reasoning. I know in Belgium right now, there's still 9.6%. And I think, for example, in Luxembourg, there are still 7.2%. So there, the same reasoning could be applied. Okay. Um, yeah, thanks for clarifying that. I can see that the charter is uh, uh, a really powerful instrument to to balance to find that balance again uh, in in interacting with with tax authorities uh, in some instances. Um, is that a tendency that you would see increasing? What are the further expectations, uh, Nicola? Yeah, Peter, we see an increasing trend of the use of the charter, of course, um, both in the cases that are referred to the Court of Justice and, of course, also in the judgments themselves of the Court of Justice that becomes apparent in annual reports of the Commission that they publish. So there is a clearly a strong increasing trend. And then, of course, there is the conduct of the Commission themselves who really try to revamp or um, re-establish the importance of the charter. And for example, in the tax action plan for fair and simple taxation of 2020, they came up with uh, public consultation and the obligation to publish a report on the role of the charter and how to strengthen it in taxation matters. And according to the Commission, and they put the expectations quite high, it would help that um, report that they would publish to the taxpayers to comply with their tax obligation, highlight the rights of taxpayers who engage in cross-border activities, and also improve the legal certainty for taxpayers. And as became apparent from the introduction of BRAM, it is really there that uh, taxpayers, and especially businesses, need uh, to be enforced and they need legal certainty in order to operate so we look very much forward to that report and maybe in a uh, next podcast we can uh, see and verify whether or not they uh, accomplished their sky high ambitions okay uh, nicola and and perhaps a question for you veronique what do you think that these recommendations uh, should address if you take your crystal ball uh, or your wish list what what would you want to see there.
Uh, yes, Peter. Um, uh, we hope that uh, these recommendations will contribute to an important um, improvement of confidence and trust uh, in the relationship between tax authorities and taxpayers. And in order to obtain this, we are of the opinion that uh, a certain minimum standard should be put in place. And first of all, and the uh, most important one, in my opinion, is uh, transparency. Uh, transparency that goes in both ways, because now transparency is currently working only in, in one direction, from the taxpayer towards the authorities. Uh, but the taxpayer should also be able to have more insight in what's, what is going on between uh, tax authorities. So, for instance, there should be an obligation for uh, the authorities that when they request administrative assistance from uh, another state uh, or when they initiate a simultaneous or joint audit, uh, that uh, the taxpayer is notified uh, thereof. Uh, in some European member states, it's already the case, it's already an obligation, like for instance in Germany, but this should be a general uh, obligation. And uh, also when information is exchanged between authorities, the taxpayer should also have the right to have access to, the inf to this information in order to, to verify uh, and if necessary, uh, have it rectified because the information that is exchanged is sometimes uh, uh, is sometimes incorrect or has uh, needs to be clarified because it it has uh, uh, it it's not uh, uh, really uh, objective. And uh, secondly, in the context of uh, audits, uh, the principle of equality of arms plays a very important role to ensure the trust uh, between taxpayer and tax authorities. And uh, the starting point for, uh, from the tax authorities should be a presumption of honesty and compliance instead of a, a presumption of fraud, which we uh, see nowadays. Uh, of course, transparency and, and tax compliance should be respected by the taxpayer, but on the other hand, they should have the guarantee uh, that certain information, such as personal data and confidential documents, are respected as well as was uh, already mentioned by uh, Brahma and Nicolas. So this, this will uh, enhance then the trust uh, and, and thus be beneficial for improvement of the relationship between uh, taxpayer and, and, and administrations. And also, as has already uh, has been mentioned uh, by Nicolas, uh, the sanctions are uh, sometimes exorbitant and there uh, we think that minimum stand standards would also be welcomed, uh, like for instance also to clarify the principle of proportionality and the NABIS in needham principle. Okay, uh, thanks, Veronique, for, uh, for for explaining that. Um, gradually, we already move towards the end of this podcast. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have that much time in, in this podcast series. But before we end, uh, Bram, you asked us a very interesting question just before we, we started this recording. Eh? You asked us what is a TACA, and I must say I had not heard of that. Uh, I thought it was a kind of a new acronym somewhere. Um, but uh, I think it's useful to share this also with the audience, as I assume many in the audience will also not know yet uh, what ETACA means. C can you enlighten us on this? 
Absolutely, and I, I'm I'm glad you raise it uh, in in this podcast as well, Peter, because it's something that the EU is developing or has developed, and it didn't get as much airtime yet as it deserves. It is indeed an acronym, like Debra, like BFIT, like Triple CTB, uh, but this one stands for European Trust and Cooperation Approach. Uh, it's basically a pilot program um, in the context of cooperative compliance, a bit similar to the international uh, ICAP program uh, developed by the OECD. Uh, but this is one is for EU, uh, for transfer pricing matters. Um, and it basically uh, allows uh, EU-based uh, groups to um, have the tax authorities of the uh, joining member states to perform a high-level TP risk assessment. Um, it's intended in the pilot to focus on routine transactions, so uh, limited risk distribution, contract manufacturing, intra-group services. Um, more complex transactions um, could be allowed if the, the tax authorities of the member states agree. Uh, but it's basically uh, one of the many initiatives where dialogue between taxpayer and tax administration can be held in an atmosphere of, of trust cooperation um, and the the good thing about this is that it, it could be quite uh, effective in the sense that you get uh, outcome in less than uh, 36 weeks which is uh, no way comparable to the time that you would have uh, in bilateral rulings or APAs with multiple countries so it's it's definitely something that groups may want to consider uh, of course, it doesn't give you the legal certainty as such. It's non-legislative, but at least it's a, a step in the good direction to to restore also uh, the balance uh, of trust. I also heard that another pilot would be launched for small and medium-sized enterprises shortly, uh, but I'm sure there's there's plenty of stuff to to talk about in a subsequent edition, Peter. Well, thank you very much, Bram, for that. And with that, we unfortunately reached the end of this podcast. So I would like to thank you to the speakers, but also to the audience for tuning in. If you want to stay up to date, please register for the podcast. You can do that on Google, Apple, Spotify, or you can find us on the PwC website. Thank you for joining and hope to see you in the next episode.